0: Well, good morning, class. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> I've got my two oldest boys that have come in, so they'll be here in, in uh, service this morning. But it's good to be with you again. Let's have a word of prayer before we get started today. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you, for the privilege of possessing your written revelation about yourself and your son. And thank you for that person that led us to Christ. And Lord, we pray that as we look at the text today, we'll improve our ability to pray in accordance with the biblical text. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, class, I want to deal with one of the major prayers in the New Testament uh, but as we began, I want to remind you of all of the things that we have been dealing with so far. And I made myself a little note to remind you, I hope you're bringing your Bible, and I hope you will mark. I don't uh, think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, most of my biblical brains are in the margin of my Bible. <laughs> but uh, I would encourage you to, to use your Bible. And uh, we have talked about different types of prayer. We've talked about the standard procedures for prayer. And we, we've talked about the different kinds of answers that you can have and uh, as a result of our prayer time. And then we've uh, shared with you how to pray for missionaries, and that evidently was very helpful to a number of people, how to pray for missionaries, and then how to pray for our family. Uh, but also uh, we... Uh, talked last week about how do we deal with worry. And I shared with you my struggle with that down through the years and how I've discovered that the uh, Philippians passage, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, is so meaningful. And I want to encourage you to keep uh, looking at that. I, in fact, I have on my prayer list Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and under it I have my what my son called uh, the worry list. And I use that on a regular basis when I'm praying. Now, today, I want to deal with another subject uh, in this particular prayer, and it's in Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to turn there with me, Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to look with me at uh, a, a number of verses. Philippians 1, and in particular, we want to begin at verse 9. I'll read the text to you and then we'll talk a little bit about context and then we'll get into the actual uh, presentation and understanding of the prayer itself. In verse 9, Colossians chapter 1, is what we read. For this cause, that takes us back to the first uh, previous eight verses and an emphasis on the fact that Paul was thanking God that he had heard that these folk had responded to the gospel and been saved. And in particular, he identifies Epaphras, one of his disciples who had been working with this, pe- this group of people in Colossae. And that's why he says, for this cause. He's been praying and thanking God for him. Now he's praying not only for salvation, thanksgiving for their salvation, but intercession for their sanctification. And here's what I want you to see as we look at the verses. This is a a prayer of the Apostle Paul that teaches us, watch it, how we can intercede for other people and see them grow and mature in their life and their walk with God. That's amazing. In other words, I can pray for each of you in my prayer time, and I can pray that God will do whatever it is that we're going to see in this text so that we walk worthy. That's the words that Paul uses, that we'll walk worthy of the Lord. Now, I can help you by discipling, but I can also help you in this area by my praying, and you can do that with others as well. Now, here we go. How do I help others to mature socially through prayer? Notice verse 9, Colossians chapter 1. For this cause we also, along with thanksgiving prayer, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That you might walk worthy. See it? There it is. In other words, I can intercede for you and you can intercede for me so that we will walk in a way that is pleasing to God. Now notice what he says, that verse 10, that we might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And then he identifies certain things that he characterizes as a worthy walk. Being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, And to all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. And then he says, giving thanks to the Father, which made us to meet, uh, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and so on. Now, verse 9 through verse 11 is our interest this morning. We want to zero in on these verses and see how we can help each other uh, to pray. Now, the first thing that we see in our text is fruit-bearing. If we're going to walk worthily, if you're going to walk worthily, and I'm going to help you by praying for you, that worthy walk includes being fruitful in every good work. Now, when we talk about fruitfulness, there are a number of passages in your theological computer that ought to click in immediately. One would be John 15, a second one would be Galatians chapter 5, and then we're going to look at two others in just a moment. But these two emphasize fruitfulness in the way I live so that I walk a worthy walk. I want you to go with me, hold your place here in Colossians, because we're going to come right back to it, but I want you to go with me to that familiar passage in John chapter 15. Notice what the Lord Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that uh, beareth not fruit, he, the Father, taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Look up here. God is interested in and our fruitfulness in our living, living in a way that is pleasing to him. Notice what he says, verse 3. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. You're saved. Abide in me, now that you're saved. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Accept it, abide in divine, and no more uh, can ye accept you abide in me the point if you have a fruit tree those branches are not going to produce they're not going to have fruit unless they're tapped in to the main source of the tree the same is true for those of us who are in christ we must be tapping into the spirit of god but in this text in particular the son so that as we abide in him He produces fruit in us because we cannot do it on our own. Galatians uh, chapter 5 teaches exactly the same thing. I want you to go with me there for just a second. Galatians uh, Galatians chapter 5, and I want you to look at verse 16. Galatians 5 and verse 16. And we're talking about fruit bearing in every good work. In everything we do, whether it's on the job, we're at the church, we're teaching a class, uh, whatever we're doing, we're to be fruit bearing as uh, we live out life. Notice in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This I say then walk in the Spirit, walk by means of the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then go up to verse 22. If I'm walking in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such is no law. The emphasis, child of God, is in John 15, I've got to be intimately tied into Jesus Christ because that's the only way I'm going to have the uh, life-giving nourishment that allows me to produce fruit in my life. But then the Holy Spirit who is in my life, also, as I yield to him, I walk by means of the Spirit. I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but I will be producing the fruit of the Spirit uh, in my life. Now, that deals with fruit-bearing child of God in my living my daily walk with God. But there's another way to look at fruitfulness. And that's what I call fruitfulness in my serving. In my serving. Let me go, go with you to a passage of scripture. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse 13. Romans 1.13. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says to us. Romans 1 and verse 13. Everybody there? Now, this is fruitfulness in what I call my serving, in my ministry, uh, in in, uh, distinction from my living. Notice verse 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was, uh, was let hitherto, that I might have some, watch it, some fruit among you also. Paul had never been to Rome. He wants to go to Rome, and he wants to have a ministry to those people, and he wants fruit to come from that ministry in the uh, in their midst. Now, child of God, the, the text is telling us that you and I are people whom God can use. As a matter of fact, here he says... I might have some fruit. We always want to say, well, the Holy Spirit did. Well, yes, and I understand that. But you've got to look at the Scripture and see what it says, and it's legal to say, I saw fruit. Okay? Why? Because God is using us as His instrument. Amen? It's His work, of course, but it is our work, too, as His designated ministers. And we need to... Recognize that. Now, I want you to go with me one more, and I want you to see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, he talks about fruit-bearing as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15. Notice what the text says uh, when we come to it. Notice, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it was the first fruits of Acadia, that they have uh, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. In other words, when Paul was with these folk, they responded, and there was fruit. And the very first family that was touched was uh, the family of Stephanus. Now. What I want to say to you this morning is this. If I'm going to walk a worthy walk, if you are going to walk a worthy walk, it is not only because I spend time in the Word and I pray, but I pray for you and you pray for me that we will produce fruit in the lives of other people. So fruit-bearing in every good work involves two things I want to suggest to you. One, the way I live and behave is the worthy walk. And the way I minister is the worthy walk. And in both cases, it may be a limited amount of fruit uh, when it comes to the ministry, but we are to be fruit bearers. And you can't bear fruit if you don't get out and do some cultivating. So the very first thing that he mentions, as far as that worthy walk is concerned, where I'm going to pray for you and you're going to pray for me, is we're going to pray that God will make us fruitful in our living and in our serving. Now, there's a second thing that he mentions in our text. We go back to Colossians chapter 1, and we look at verse 10 again. And I want you to notice what he says being fruitful in every good work, and, secondly, increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, the Greek word that is used here is translated in this particular uh, translation, increasing, is the word growing. And I think that is more helpful, at least in my thinking, that I'll be growing... In the knowledge of God. The second thing I want you to see when we look at this text is when he uses the word knowledge. I want you to look up here a second. I give you a little Greek lesson every once in a while, and I'm not trying to imply I'm any Greek scholar by nature and uh, ministry, but I've got two guys in the back that can outdo me on that. But the bottom line is growing in knowledge. The Greek word to know, and you've probably heard Pastor use this term, it is the word gnosko. Well, what he wants to do is move knowledge to a different level. So he adds a prepositional phrase on the front, epi, so it becomes epikinosko. And That's the word that is used here in, in our text, that you will be growing in an intense level. Of knowledge, an intense level of knowledge. I'm going to try to illustrate that as we go along. But I want you to turn with me again. Hold your place in Colossians. But I want you to go with me to another passage, and that's Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Significant passage in my thinking. Mark chapter 4. Man, I want you to look at verse 21 talking about knowledge and perception of truth. Perception of truth in verse 21 and 23, Mark 4. Watch what it says. And he said to them, Is is the candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed? Well, of course not. You want it out and up where it can spread the most beneficial light. Uh, And not to be set in a candlestick. Then he says... For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. In other words, the Word is a light of God that is going to reveal uh, what's going on in lives of our lives and the lives of other people. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man hears, let him hear. In other words, pay attention. Things are going to come to light through the perception of truth. Now notice verse 24, maturation in truth, growth in truth. And this is where we are in our prayer in Colossians chapter 1. And he said to them, take heed, watch out, pay attention to what you hear. And take heed has not only the idea of understanding, but it has the idea of Responding. Now, here's a statement I want you to get. I use it a lot, but I want to drive it home. Comprehension without application in my life and in yours will lead one to be prideful. Knowledge puffs up. Okay? But comprehension with application makes one humble. Now, we can become so enamored with how much we know and not be it applying in our life, and the result of that is uh, an egotistical theological understanding. But if I begin to apply the truth in my life, guess what happens? I am humble because every time I turn around, I am made aware that I am a dirty Rotten, stinking sinner. And I blow it. And it's humiliating spiritually for us. So it drives us to our knees. And that's what the text is talking about here. Look at it. He says, Take heed what you hear, for with what measure you respond, that measure, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear, more will be given. More will be a given. In other words, if I am paying attention to the Word and I'm applying it in my life, I may be humbled, but I'm growing. I'm growing. And it ends up that I'll get more truth. Now, let me show you what I mean. When I was in school, in high school, I had to take courses in math, just like you. And I learned things like, 1 plus 1 equals 2. 2 plus 2 equals 4. 2 divided uh, into 4 is 2. And all those kinds of things. Now, when I learned basic math, to the best of my ability, I then went on to what they call back then, I don't know what they call it anymore, plane geometry and that kind of thing. A plus B equals C. Now, how do I understand? How did I have the ability to understand A plus B equals C? Because i had already learned one plus one equals two. In other words, our truth becomes a foundation for more truth. Point. If I am heeding the word of God and applying it in my life, I may be humbled by it, but I also am growing by it. And as I grow, I am ready for new fresh truth on learning on a different level. Does that make sense? Now notice the next verse in Mark 4. For he that hath, he has the word, to him shall be given. That's what he just taught in verse 24. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he has. In other words, child of God, we may reach a certain level of knowledge, but if we don't make application, not only are we going to become egotistical and prideful, but the text also said your ability to understand what you already knew begins to crumble. Now, I had to men just a few minutes ago to help me get up these stairs using my cane. I'm now in therapy because my legs have gotten so bad. And it hurts. Can you have sympathy for me? It hurts. But I'm hoping and praying that my legs are going to be strengthened. But when my daddy was in the same position I'm in now, He had prostate cancer, and he was getting to the point where the only way he could walk was with a walker. I said, Dad, come on, let's go walk. No, son, not today. Maybe tomorrow. I knew what that meant, because he's going to say the same thing the next day. Eventually, my dad couldn't walk anymore. My mom here in Birmingham, when we had her in the home before she died, She went through therapy twice, two different levels of therapy. And finally, the therapist said, she can walk. She just doesn't want to. Before it's over, she's in a wheelchair. Point. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Amen? If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And that's what he's talking about when we look in the text. We're to be growing in an intense understanding of knowledge that comes through experience. Let me share with you a little bit about that. I use uh, illustrations for the military all the time, especially Vietnam, because it was such an intensive learning experience for me. But I was in a firefight. I don't even know where we were. All I remember is the, the particular person I'm going to tell you about. It was a young man by the name of Arnold, African-American fellow. And he came to me, he was married, and he came to me and he said, Chaplain, I'm, my wife and I are going to have a baby. And finally the baby came, it was a little girl. He came running to the chaplain. Chaplain, I've got a little girl. The next night day when we were in a firefight, Arnold got fatally wounded. And as he was dying in my arms, and I don't mean to be melodramatic, but that's exactly what happened. He knew he was dying. I knew he was dying. And you know what he said to me? He said, Chaplain, I'm never going to see my little girl. I'll never forget it as long as I live. He was a believer walk with God, and in God's sovereignty, he let him die and not be the daddy that would help bring up his daughter. How do I understand that? How do I respond to that? All I can say is God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's what this text is talking about. It's talking about increasing, growing in experiential, intensified knowledge. I now, as a result of Arnold and our relationship that day, I have a new, higher, or deeper understanding of God's sovereignty. Does that make sense? And that's what we're to pray will happen uh, in each other's lives, so that we'll walk. The worthy walk now uh, there was another case I'll tell you about it another African American I had tremendous ministry with African Americans down through my life this is a young man from Rome Georgia he was taking a course correspondence course while he's in Vietnam on the subject of prayer he was so excited about what he was learning one day went out as point man on our battalion minus, a battalion less some men, a battalion minus operation. He got to be point man that day. And his job was to draw fire before the larger group got there. He got hit right between the eyes, killed instantly. Here was a young man that loved God, was taking a course while he was in combat in Vietnam, and God took him. Explain that. His will is good and acceptable and perfect. And through life experiences, as I walk the worthy walk, I begin to understand things on a deeper level. Everybody got it? Growing in experiential knowledge. Now, slip down, look at verse 11. Strengthened. I want to stop right there. Look up here again. Strengthened. It's a present, passive, participle. That doesn't mean anything to you. I just simply say it so you'll know I'm knowing what I'm talking about. Present and participle has to do with habitual action, something that is ongoing. Passive, watch it. It is an outside force working on me. It is an outside force working on you. And I am to be praying that you will be strengthened by that outside force from God in your life. And you're to be praying the same way for me. Notice verse 11. Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience. You want to talk about the worthy walk that is pleasing to God? It involves being patient. Boy, that'll humble you right quick. Patience. You've heard me talk about it. I want to emphasize it. This word in this text is most often translated uh, patience. But in some cases, it may be steadfastness or something else. But here's what I want you to get. The word itself is a word picture. And it's the word no. Minnow to abide. Hoopo, prepositional prefix attached to the front of the verb that means under. So we have a word picture. What does it mean to be patient? When I pray for you that you'll be patient in your life, and you pray for me that my life will be characterized by patience, it is a word picture that says to me, under the weight of the circumstances of life, I don't get crushed. I can hold up under the circumstances that come in my life. God is saying to us throughout his word, child of God, that I am to be patient under the circumstances that come my way. Now, I want you to go with me uh, to a couple of passages again. You may need to write them down uh, so that you won't forget them. The first one, and hold your place in closets, we're coming right back, but The first one is in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I want you to see what the text says. This is the Apostle Paul that is doing the talking here in the first several verses of chapter 5. Listen to what the text says. Verse 1. Therefore, Romans five, one. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now look up here. He's saying we rejoice in the fact that we have this relationship with God and we have this hope of glory for the future. I understand that one. We rejoice in it. But then notice verse 3. And not only so, here's something else we're supposed to rejoice in. Not only so, but we glory, watch it, the word has the idea of rejoice, we glory in tribulations also, also. Why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now, once you look up here, patience means to abide under the pressures of life and not let them crush you. How are you going to learn to do that? How are you going to develop the spiritual muscles that allow you to hold up under the pressures and the circumstances of life? The answer is God's going to pour it on. He is going to bring tribulation He's going to bring adversity into your life so that constantly you're having to learn how to bear up under the circumstances of life. Does that make sense? He wants us to learn to be patient, so he's going to bring things into our life that help us learn to be patient under the circumstances of life. One more. Go with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look at verse 2. I preach the sermon here on this passage, as a matter of fact. But in James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy. In the Greek text it says, All joy count it, my brethren. He wants to get the emphasis, so he puts it in the beginning of the verse or in the sentence. Notice what he says. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into the various temptations or trials. Why? Knowing this, here we are, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. He brings trials into our life, child of God. Why? So we'll learn to bear up under the pressures of life. There is one thing for me to spend time in the word and pray and ask God to give me that patience. It's another thing when I have an army of intercessors that are praying for me that I'll have that ability to function under pressure in in a victorious way. When I was uh, at Southeastern Bible College, I, w- I was beginning to sense, I'd, I was president for 11 years, and about the last four years in there, I began to sense that God was going to be moving me to some other kind of ministry, and I was really looking forward to it. I was tired of putting out people fires and raising money. I wanted to get back in the classroom or go into the pastorate, one or the other. And a church called me out of the blue from down in Florida. said, Dr. Talley, why don't you come down? And get to know us. We want you to fill our pulpit. I went down as a storefront church. They didn't have property. They didn't have a building. They didn't have anything. But they had a bunch of people that loved God. I was so impressed by it. And so after talking to them and they heard us, uh, heard me preach and so on, we agreed that we would candidate at that church. Well, about two weeks before I was to go back again, there was a lady in the church. I'm sorry, ladies, but it was a lady. A lady in the church decided she never met me, didn't know anything about me, but that I was not the person to be there. It was some younger fella there in the community because he could relate to the young people, and we needed some young people. So she did a telephone campaign, trying to talk people into voting negatively for my candidacy at the church. Now, that that kind of hurt my ego, and I eventually turned that down, and they had to do a lot of damage control and all of that in the church. Well, why did she do that? Why did the Lord allow that to happen? In his sovereignty, in his grace, child of God, he wanted me to learn some patience. Does that make sense? That's why you need to pray for me, and I need to pray for you. If we're going to walk a worthy walk, we're going to have to be fruit-bearing in every good work. We're going to have to learn experiential knowledge, and we're going to have to be... Strengthened for patience. Then there's another one. Notice in verse 11 in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto patience and longsuffering. Now, the word longsuffering is an interesting word. It's a word picture made up of two words, thumos, which means temper. And the preposition in front of it, makros, long. The word means to have a long temper, not a short temper. And I confess to you, in my carnal state, I can be a person that manifests a short temper. And I'll say that freely in front of everybody because I know there's a bunch of you out there just like me. But if I'm going to walk the worthy walk, child of God, I've got to learn how to handle the circumstances of life and in particular, the people. Now, here's what you got to get. These two words are closely related Patience, that's translated in my text, the first word emphasizes the circumstance. But remember the illustration I gave you? A lady he did a negative campaign. It involves people that produce the circumstance. Everybody with me? And so we're to learn how to be long-suffering. We're to learn how not to be short-tempered. Now, how does that happen? I walk in the Spirit, and I have the fruit of the Spirit. And I pray and confess every time I blow it. But I need your prayer support as well. As my intercessor, you need to pray for me, and I pray for you uh, that we together will learn uh, to practice long-suffering. Now, I could give you all kinds of stories about long-suffering. If you've been in the ministry very long, you learn something about long-suffering. I, I've got a book in my library, Churches That Abuse Pastors. Boy, it's an interesting volume. Long-suffering. I pastored Dayton, Ohio, way back early on, after I, first church after I got out of the military from being in Vietnam. And we had a lady in my church. Her name was Bertha. I won't tell you the last name, but her first name was Bertha. We had a beautiful sanctuary. They had spent a lot of money getting it all beautified. And I came, and, boy, I was so proud of our church and the facilities in particular. Oh, man, it was wonderful. They had a parsonage with a swimming pool. (laughs) Talk about nice. But Bertha would sit in the back. I can still see her. I'm sitting on the platform, and there's Bertha on the next to the last row in the church. We tried to get people to move up, but Bertha and Ralph sit on next to the last seat in the church on my right. And then she would complain because she couldn't hear. Bertha, why don't you move up closer to the front? I get a crick in my neck, Pastor. So she kept, the deacons even got these white ornamental ropes and hung them over about the first four rows. I'd sit up on a platform Sunday morning just as, much as a clockwork. Here comes Bertha and Ralph. She looks up at me to make sure I'm watching. And she takes the rope and tosses it aside and does that as she sits down. That's not the end of the story. That's long suffering to put up with that. But her son who just graduated from Bob Jones came to town. There's no reflection on Bob Jones. And we asked him to preach. Oh, he'd love to do that. Guess what Bertha did? She moved to the third seat from the front. Crick in her neck, no problem. Her son was preaching. Child of God, all of us are going to run into people like that, whether you're in ministry or whether you're not. And we need God's help so that we don't ruin our testimony for the Lord Jesus. So you've got to pray for me, and I've got to pray for you. One more, and we're through very quickly. Notice verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who made us to be partakers of the inheritance and so on talks about our relationship with the Lord, our inheritance, our membership in the kingdom, and our redemption from sin. We're to be thankful. We never should get over the fact of what God did for us. Amen? Now, I'm going to say it again. You can impact my spiritual walk with God and enhance my Maturity level, if you will pray with me or pray for me using the formula in this chapter. That's what Paul did for the people he was responsible for. Think about it. Think about your kids. Think about your grandkids. Think about people in your church that have just come to know the Lord. All of those kinds of people can be strengthened as I intercede for them. And they may never know I'm doing it, but I'm having a ministry in their lives when I pray like this. Amen? Prayer is a powerful, powerful instrument in the hand of the child of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Pray that you'll use it in our lives. Help us not just to know information, would apply during our life, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.